In working with a client who exhibits symptoms suggestive of a dissociative disorder, what should the social worker do first? A, provide education to the client about dissociative disorders. B, conduct a comprehensive assessment to gather more information about the client's symptoms and experiences. C, refer the client to a psychiatrist for a formal diagnosis and medication evaluation. D, collaborate with other professionals in the client support network to develop a treatment plan. All right. So with that, oh, no problem, Felicia. She says she can't talk right now. That's okay. With that, we're going to start with A. Do we keep A or are we throwing it out? What are we doing? Throw it out. Throw it out. Okay. B. Keep it. Keep it. All right. The baby agrees. C. Throw it out. Throw it out. Okay, and D. Throw it out. Throw it out. All right, so let's talk about B. Conduct a comprehensive assessment to gather more information about the client's symptoms and experiences. Why would D be correct? I think that would be correct because you want to first assess and see how long the, the door, how long the symptoms been going on, and also duration. Okay. Her name. The reason why I'll pick that because anytime you see first, it's the first time you're meeting them. So you have to assess the situation to see what's mm -hmm. going further. So that's the reason why I put because anytime I see first, that means an assessment has not been done, not a let's just say assessment in the vignette. All right. The reason why I said it was because it says that the client is exhibiting um, symptoms suggestive mm -hmm. of a dissociative uh, disorder. So it's, to me, that's kind of like that problem um, area that we should be paying attention to. So it mm -hmm. says it's suggestive, which means that we need to assess before we act, correct? Well, at least that's what I'm thinking. I'm not saying anything, I'm just listening. <laughs> so it, Lauren, it would be up to you. You got to be confident in that choice. So if you think it's correct, and then it is until I say otherwise. With that, it is correct. <laughs> you got to get confident, Lauren. Uh, so conduct. I'm getting there. I'm, I'm working on it. We're getting there. <laughs> conduct a comprehensive assessment to gather more information about the client's symptoms and experiences. So let's talk about this question just a little bit um, because it is an application question, you guys. And it says first. So when I'm looking at this question, it says that we're working with a client. That's all it says. It exhibits symptoms of dissociative disorder. First of all, we need to know what dissociative disorder is, right? We need to know what that is. So the first step, of course, is going to be knowing the diagnosis and then from there realizing that they're pulling from assessment. So we know that assessment plays a crucial role and it's important to gain a deeper understanding of the symptoms because it says suggestive. It is not official that he, that person has a diagnosis. So we want to look at the symptoms, experiences, and possible underlying factors. And we know that a comprehensive assessment and exploring the presenting concerns, 
conducting a thorough clinical interview and utilizing appropriate assessment tools to gather relevant information is going to be important. So the other thing is I want to say is conducting a comprehensive assessment is going to give you a clear picture of specific symptoms. Someone already said it, duration, frequency of these symptoms, any potential triggers, their stressors, the impact of those symptoms on the client's daily functioning and well-being. And also assessment process allows for a more holistic understanding of the strengths, resources, and support networks, right? So all the other things such as what we got, A, providing education, refer to clients to a psychiatrist, collaborate with other professionals, those things would come later. We need to make sure we complete a comprehensive assessment first. So you guys got it correct. I'm going to check the chat because I see a little dot there. All right. You guys, we're going to go on to the next question. So according to Yellum's curative factors in group therapy, which factor refers to the group member's ability to provide feedback, challenge, and support each other's personal growth and self-awareness? We have A, installation of hope, B, universality, C, imparting of information, D, interpersonal learning. With that, we're going to start with A. Nicole, I saw you pop off the mic. Mm -mm, don't want <laughs> You can unmute. I was going to say, throw said, it out. Throw, throw Hold it on. Out. Ladies throw first, Maurice. Ladies first. Oh, ladies first. Yeah, I was going to say, throw it out. Okay, Maurice. I was going to say, throw it out also. Chantel, I saw you pop off as I well. Said, throw it out. Okay. With that being said, we'll throw it out. B? Keep it. Keep it. Okay. C? Throw it, throw it out. All right. D? Throw it out. I'll throw it out. Okay. So, we did we cross out everything except for what? C? See, okay. Oh, B. Okay, sorry. I didn't cross out anything. I'm just kind of just um, because I'm on my tablet. <laughs> so with that being said, tell me why you guys think it would be. It educates an employer member. Okay. Anyone else? I'm going to say that universalism is where... I believe everyone, um, they go through the, the same thing. They, you know, so they are sharing their feedback. They are going through their, their challenges and they're sharing their supports and they're growing as a group. So that's why I pick universalism. Got it. I agree. And I think this is the part when they build the cohesion for the group. All right. Anyone else before I go into the rationale? All righty. So let's kind of recap. So according to Yellen's curative factors in group therapy, we know this is an application question, even though it's application recall, because you would have to know what the curative factors in group therapy are. Do you guys know how many are there are? Anybody? The curative factors, how many are there? Is it six? Um, 
Six. Four minutes. Nope. Stormin, Norman. Not six. Four five. It's eleven. There's eleven curative factors in group therapy. All right. So the next part is they give you kind of the definition. Which factor refers to the group's members' ability to provide feedback, challenges for each other's personal growth and self-awareness, right? So this is a recall and application because you need to know the curative factors in group therapy, all 11 of them, and know the examples of what they look like in real time to answer this question because it's indefinitional. So Yellow's identified 11 curative factors in group therapy that contribute to the therapeutic effectiveness of the group process. One of these factors is interpersonal learning, which is actually the right answer, D. Interpersonal learning refers to the group's members' ability to provide feedback, challenges for each other's personal growth and self-awareness. During group therapy, interpersonal learning occurs as members share their experiences and emotions and thoughts. Through this process, they develop a better understanding of their own interpersonal patterns, and they gain insight into how they relate to others. Group members can provide valuable feedback and perspectives to their peers, which can challenge existing beliefs or behaviors and promote personal growth. So installation of hope, which is also one of the 11 creative factors, it refers to the group members' ability to inspire and instill hope in one another by sharing their own progress and success stories. Universality, option B, involves the recognition and understanding that others in the group share similar struggles and experiences. Imparting of information, option C, relates to the exchange of knowledge and education among group members. All right. So again, this is an application and recall together because you would need to know what the 11 curative factors in group therapy are, and then you would need to know the definition. Any questions about this one? So the answer is D? It is, but I wanted to give the full rationale and making sure you thoroughly understand why it was D and not B. Can you tell me what page that is in my study book? <laughs> I'll text it to you. Okay, thank you. you. No problem. You haven't gotten there yet. I can tell you no, that. No, I right haven't. Now. But no, I will let you know. <laughs> but for the rest of you, if that curated factors, all 11 of them, isn't in your study guide, you probably got the wrong one. With that being said, we're going to. Yeah, I ain't never know the... it was 11. Well, Maurice, that means you need to come see me, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> All right. According to the principles of the casework relationship, which of the following is a core aspect of the social worker's client relationship? So we have A, imposing personal values and beliefs on the client. B, fostering a non-judgmental and accepting attitude towards the client's. C, maintaining a hierarchical power dynamic between the social worker and the client. Then we have D, focusing primarily on the client's external circumstances rather than their internal experiences, right? So with that, this would be an application to me in recall because you would need to know the principles of the casework relationship in order to know the answer to this question. So with that being said, let's look at A. Do we keep it or do we throw it out, guys? Throw it out. Throw, throw it out. out. Okay. Throw it out. B, 
Keep it. Keep it. Keep it. C. Program. D. Throw down. All right. Throw it out. Why would it be B? You guys got quiet on me now. You guys pick B. Why are we picking B? Well, the one thing that it says is um, mentioning a core aspect of the social worker client relationship. And one thing that the code of ethics does state is that we're supposed to foster a non-judgmental um, stance um, towards the client and accept, um, I'm trying to remember everything verbatim, but basically B is, is stepping out to me um, more or less in terms of ethics. Okay, thank you, Lauren. I'm saying it's that core value. I mean, not core value, the core aspect part. Ah, you just said it. Chantel, you just said it. It's a core aspect of the social work client relationship. So that is a core principle of case management relationship. Alrighty, Chantel, you were one of mine. So you definitely remember yes, that. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> All right, but I want to make sure you guys get the full explanation of why it's not the other. So I'm just going to run through them really quickly for the sake of uh, education. Option A is incorrect because it imposes personal values and beliefs on the client is inconsistent with the principles of the case work relationship. Social workers are expected to respect and uphold the client's autonomy, self-determination without imposing their own values or beliefs. Option C is also incorrect because maintaining a hierarchical power dynamic between the social worker and the client goes against the principles of empowerment and collaboration in the casework relationship. Instead, the social worker should strive for an egalitarian and mutually respectful relationship. Option D is incorrect because focusing solely on the client's external circumstances without considering their internal experiences neglects the holistic understanding of the client's well-being. The casework relationship emphasizes the exploration and understanding of both external and internal factors influencing the client's life. Fostering a non-judgmental and accepting attitude option B creates a safe and supportive environment for the client to openly express themselves, explore their concerns, and work towards positive change. It is a fundamental aspect of building trust and establishing a therapeutic alliance in the casework relationship. Okay, so that is the full rationale. All right, so this is our third question. In the context of social work assessment, which of the following best describes the purpose of a comprehensive assessment? A, to diagnose and label clients with specific mental health conditions. B, to gather information about the client's strengths, needs, and challenges. C, to implement specific treatment interventions and develop a care plan. D, conduct a brief evaluation of the client's presenting problem and other immediate solutions. With that, let's look at A. I didn't really hear the question. Can you read the question again? It went off a little bit. Yes, please, Char. I didn't hear the question. 
Wait, it's not there? It's not in the no, chat. it's not. No. It's not in the chat. Okay. Did I miss that one? I did. Definitely did. There's my ADHD. <laughs> All right. So basically, I'll just summarize it. So I'm just going to put down. So I know some of you guys are visual. So social work in the context of the social work assessment, right? Which of the following best describes a comprehensive assessment. Okay, so I did type it in the chat. I'm gonna paraphrase them. So A, to diagnose and label clients with mental health conditions. Okay, so that one's there. You can look in the chat and see it. B, to gather information about the client's strength, needs, and challenges. Okay, and C, to implement specific treatments, interventions, and develop a care plan. That's in the chat. And then there is D, conduct a brief eval of the client's presenting problem and offer immediate solutions. Okay, you guys see it in the chat now? I tried to paraphrase it a little bit. So with that, A, do we take it out or do we keep it? No, it out. Okay, B? Keep it. Keep it. Keep it. C? Throw it out. D? Throw it out. Okay. It looks like we picked B, including the baby. <laughs> <laughs> so with that being said, anyone want to give their rationale for why they picked B? Because that's really... um. Because B here says um, to gather information in the client's strengths, needs, and challenges. And that's usually what we do when we're doing an assessment. Those are the type of things that we're looking for so we can make an informed decision on how to um, assist the client. Okay. Thank you, Chantel. Anyone else want to throw their two cents in? Well, the reason why I picked B from your study Anytime you do it from a strength perspective, you're showing the client there is hope in their situation. So that's why you always do it from a strength perspective because sometimes the client may not see that there's hope. So when you do it from a strength perspective, you're giving them an opportunity, this is doable, and you have the necessary tools, which is the social work to help you out from a strength perspective to let them know it can be done. And I read that in your study guide. Of course you did. <laughs> All right. Anyone else? 
Okay. So I'm going to give you guys kind of just the rationale just for playback and uh, educational purposes. So it is B. So in social work assessment, the purpose of a comprehensive assessment is to gather information, as you guys already said, focus on the client's strengths, needs, and challenges. And we want to take a more holistic and strength-based approach. Option A is incorrect because the purpose of the comprehensive assessment is not solely to diagnose and label clients with specific mental health conditions. While assessment may contribute to forming a diagnosis, the primary focus is on gaining a comprehensive understanding of the client's situation rather than focusing solely on labeling. Option C is incorrect because the purpose of a comprehensive assessment is not to immediately implement specific treatment intervention or develop a care plan. While assessment provides important information for treatment planning, the primary focus is on gathering comprehensive information rather than directly implementing interventions. D is incorrect because a comprehensive assessment is not meant to be a brief evaluation with immediate solutions. It is a more in-depth and thorough process that involves gathering a wide range of information to gain a comprehensive understanding of the client's strengths, needs, and challenges. Therefore, the most accurate purpose of an assessment comprehensively in social work is to gather information about the client's strengths, needs, and challenges. This information serves as the foundation for understanding the client's situation and developing an appropriate individualized intervention plan all right with that being said those are the three questions of the night so if you guys want some more questions put a one in the chat i want to know who wants more questions i got to get you guys to be a little interactive with me so <laughs> if you want more yes blow that chat up we'll see it's like about enough of us in here so who wants more questions all right i see it coming in okay with that being said i'm gonna need your help again so it's about good 40 90 y'all in the room so i will pull another question but you guys gotta help me with the shares so share the room out some more for me if you guys can help me do that so we can get this room to be a little bigger i'm willing to go a little longer okay usually i go about an hour um no more than that just because of my own time but i'm willing to go a little bit further so with that i'm going to need you guys to help me so share the room out a little bit more and i will prepare another question for you guys okay so if you share out the room we'll add some more questions so for each share i will drop another question let's try that so share out the room and I will put another question in the chat. Just share it out. It could, in the share button to let you guys know, somebody just said, where's the share? The share button is at the bottom. It's a little arrow that pops up. It goes straight up. So at the bottom where there's a scissors, just share it out. Just go ahead and share the room a little bit more for me. Thank you. I see. <laughs> Laura's like one, one, one. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go ahead and put the next one in the chat. Thank you guys for sharing the room out. I see some people sharing, so I'm going to go ahead and do what I said I was going to do and put another question in the chat. Thanks, Dr. Quinn. <laughs> so I'm going to put another question in the chat, but I'm going to paraphrase it for you guys just a little bit. <laughs> All right, so 
I'm going to paraphrase the question just a little bit for you guys. And we're going to do a diagnostic question, especially for my master's and clinical people, for my bachelor's people. Uh, you know, you're learning too, even though you don't have as many, if at all, on your exam. But for my master's in clinical, you guys know you will see some. Okay, so I'm going to read the question as I type it out. Robert is a 40-year-old man who reports to your office with chronic, I'm going to put it in the chat, you guys, lower back pain. That's his chief complaint for the past three years, okay? Now, he's had a lot or numerous medical evals, and I'm going to kind of briefly a little bit, you guys. So, and he's had a lot of tests that show no physiological basis for his pain. Okay. So despite lack of medical findings, Robert is extremely worried about his health and the pain interferes with his daily activities and work. Okay, so you guys should see that in the chat too. He insists his pain is real and is not relieved by pain meds. Okay. He expresses that he has been feeling increasingly depressed and anxious due to his condition. Okay, so here are the answers and I'll recap because I know I was typing this as I go. So the first one is illness anxiety disorder. D slash O is disorder as abbreviation. B is conversion disorder. C is somatic symptom disorder. And then we got D factitious disorder. Oh boy, we got some similar disorders here. Okay, so I'm going to recap for you guys because um, I know I was typing as we go, but here we go. Robert, a 40-year-old man, reports to your office with chronic lower back pain for the past three years. Numerous medical evaluations and tests have shown no physiological basis for his pain. So despite the lack of medical findings, Robert is extremely worried about his health 
and the pain interferes with his daily activities and his work. He insists his pain is real and is not relieved by pain meds. Robert also expresses that he has been feeling increasingly depressed and anxious due to his condition. So we have A, illness anxiety disorder, B, conversion disorder, C, somatic symptom disorder, and D, factitious disorder. <coughs> with that, I see the chat is blowing up. <laughs> so let's start with illness anxiety disorder. Do we keep it or are we throwing it out? Throw it out. Throw it out. out. Throw it out. All right. B, conversion disorder. Throw it out. Okay. Somatic symptom disorder. Keep it. Keep, keep it. D, factitious Throw disorder. Throw it out. Get rid of it. Throw it out. Okay. So it sounds like we're all picking somatic symptom disorder, correct? Yes. All right. Anyone want to have at it why they picked it? Anybody? Correct me if I'm wrong. It's like if the person have pain or felt related anxiety and he have the symptoms, but there's not it's something it's unclaimed pain or symptoms and they don't know the origin from it. That's the reason why I picked sy synthetic um, sy um, symptoms. Because usually a person who have um, that they don't know where deriving from. They believe that they have, and there's no known origin where it came from. And that's the reason why I picked that. It's also, it's all psychological in their head, even though they went through a series of tests and they couldn't find anything. So from what I have studied in the past is that people with somatic system, they don't know where the origin it came from, but they believe that they have it, but there's no derivative where it came from. So that's the reason why I picked that. Okay. Anyone else want to have at it? Well, it causes, like, from, like, you know, from the stem, it sounds like it's causing him, like, distress, and he can't really function according to him and the way he's feeling. So that reminds me of somatic, the definition of somatic. And there is no, like, primary or a secondary gain with this. So it's looking more like somatic disorder. Ooh, look at you, Lauren, up there um, talking about secondary gain. Because if it was secondary gain, what disorder would that be? I would say either B, D, or B. I would say malingering. Yes, yes, yes. It's malingering. Yeah, it's not there. I would, I would say malingering. It is it, definitely malingering. It is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I was trying to get you to say, Lord. Sorry. Her name got you first. Yeah. Yep. That, yep. That's that malingering. Malingering, usually they throw that in here, but because it's more uh, focused on the symptoms of the body, um, they didn't have it here. But usually they will throw it in there. Usually with factitious disorder, they'll throw malingering in there. But it's not there. But yes, secondary gain, I automatically th think of that. So with that, let's kind of just talk through this. This guy's primary is chronic lower back pain for the past three years. So we have the duration. The highlighted symptom that yells out to me, of course, is that there's no physiological basis for his pain, right? The other thing is that despite the lack of medical finding, he's still worried about his health and the pain interferes with his daily living, 
right? So he's insisting that his pain is real. So everything is romantic, is focused on that chronic lower back pain. So you guys said somatic symptom disorder, and that is correct. Because his chronic lower back pain has no identifiable physiological cause, he has significant worry about his health and the impact of the pain on his daily life and work. That it all correlates with the DSM-5 criteria for somatic symptom disorder. Now, here's another question I'm going to throw at you guys. If that's somatic symptom disorder, then what would make this illness anxiety disorder? What would need to take place? There's no symptoms. Intense fear that they may have it. That used to be hypochondriac. Mm -hmm. But they change it to um, illness, anxiety disorder. Look at you. Go ahead. Yes. What about conversion disorder? That's when a person is extremely stressed. Like, it's like blind rage. Mm -hmm. So they convert it. So that's what converting. For instance, if you and I was engaged in a conversation and, and I, we were arguing, and the next thing you know, I have blind rage, you know, um, to someone who as in anger and un unable to see trauma. Okay. Chantel, you just popped off as well. I literally lost my tra my train of thought because oh, let sorry. me think here. <laughs> I was thinking because I, I remember like, you know, I've been in this group for like a, a while. We won't talk about how long. But <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you posed a question of like, you know, a client who was like in a DV situation, right? And then like... It like uh, I think it, uh, it manifested like in like arm pain when they talk about it or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's how I just that's what like lives rent free in my head when I think of conversion therapies. Like I remember many moons ago when Shara talked about this, and ever since then it's never steered me wrong. I always think about it that way. I, I know that I'm not doing a really good job of explaining it. No, no, no. But you're in. No, you're you're processing it the way you see it. No, that's this is a judgment free zone. Chantel, right. I got exactly so, what you were saying. Yeah. So I'm hoping I'm making sense somehow, but it makes sense in my head. But I think articulating <laughs> it in words might be like a little bit challenging. But I know what I'm talking about. If that makes sense, it does. So I'm gonna give you guys kind of a concrete example of conversion disorder. So here's an example. Imagine taking a hard fall off your bike and then not being able to move your arm, but your arm isn't injured. Neither is any other part of your body. Because conversion disorder is a condition in which you have physical symptoms of a health problem, but no injury or illness to explain them, right? So it has signs and symptoms affecting sensory or motor function inconsistent with the patterns of neurological diseases because uh, they call it in the DSM-5 functional neurological symptom disorder. So it's usually the result of significant stress or emotional or physical trauma. So someone also mentioned their believers are named that said it earlier. And what about factitious disorder? That one should be an easy one for you guys. Is that um, taking a role of, of the sick, meaning one attention? For mm -hmm. instance, the sick role. Up here. Right, sick role, right. I would say, I shouldn't be saying this. You know how men act like they're overly more sick than the female? And they say, oh, baby, I'm sick and everything because they want their attention seeking. You have some men who 
overly dramatized when they sick because they want attention from their mate. You know, it's attention seeking. That's all it is. Oh, good. Yeah, comes- through. I had to check. Uh, <laughs> I was like, is there a minute here? Wait a minute. I just, I apologize. I just know. I seen it my brothers, you know, the male of my family. Oh, I'm dying. All this. Yeah. And you looked at me like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I got what you were saying. With that, I always want to make sure I talk about, you know, questions that have similar, even though you guys got this right, I always want to be very thorough and talking about uh, disorders that have similar symptoms. Okay, so you guys want to do another one? You guys can, if you want to do another one, y'all say something. I'm be like, oh, we done. I see the chat blowing up again. <laughs> All right, so we'll do another one. Okay, so we're going to do, and I'll jump in the community, but I want to do one more um, diagnostic question, and then we'll jump to a different area. Um so this one is focused on eating disorders. I will say that. So Kelly is a 17, I'll put it in the chat, right? So 17 year old girl comes to your office. And by the way, I'm putting this in the chat. So no worries there. And is accompanied by by her parents. Her parents express concern of her weight loss and changes in eating habits. Okay. They also notice she avoids meals makes excuses to not eat and when she does eat she consumes small portions okay they also report finding laxatives in her room She appears underweight for her height and age. She expresses intense fear of gaining weight. or becoming fat despite her low body weight. Okay. Now we're gonna put the answer choices in the chat. Avoidant, restrictive, Food intake disorder, that's the first one. Then we got B, bulimia nervosa.
Okay, then we got C, anorexia nervosa. And then we got D, binge eating disorder. All right, I'm going to recap this question again because I know I was typing it. So Kelly, a 17-year-old girl, comes to your office accompanied by her parents. Her parents express concern about Kelly's recent weight loss, changes in eating habits. They have also noticed that Kelly often avoids meals, makes excuses to not eat, and when she does eat, she consumes very small portions. They also report finding laxes in her room. Kelly appears underweight for her height and age, expresses intense fear of gaining weight or becoming fat, despite her significant low body weight. So we have A, avoidant restricted food intake disorder, B, bulimia nervosa, C, anorexia nervosa, D, binge eating disorder. Let's start with A. Do we keep it or do we throw it out? Throw it out. Okay. Throw it out. B? Throw it out. Throw it out. C? Keep, keep it. it. D? Throw it out. Throw it out. Alrighty. So let's look at anorexia nervosa. What would make it that? The, the vignette give a description of anorexic neurosa, the um, laxative, the distorted view of themselves, um, lack of eating food. That's the definition for anorexia neurosis, according okay. to the DSM. That's the reason why I picked that. All righty. Thank you. Anyone else? Don't be shy now. You guys are quite quickly quiet, but blowing up chat. <laughs> Anybody else want to give that explanation? You guys all agree with her. I agree. All righty. I see a lot of the chat does too. So C, anorexia nervosa is the correct answer. Her significant weight loss, avoidance of meals, fear of weight gain, despite being underweight, use of laxes corresponds with anorexia nervosa. Now I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Bulimia nervosa has a key feature that differs than any other eating disorder in that area. Who can tell me what it is? Would it be Isn't safe it to vomiting? say they Oops. eat a lot, but they maintain their weight? They just purge their food? Close. I'm looking for a distinct factor, though. There's something that they, they you're close. Lauren? It's, I was just saying, isn't it vomiting? And use of laxative, too. So the one key factor that separates this disorder from all the others is the compensating behaviors. That would include everything you guys just said, but in order for that, they maintain their normal weight because they'll binge eat, they'll feel guilty about it, and then they will do either, they'll exercise excessively so they don't gain the weight, or they will go ahead and they will um, purge. I think they'll purge. So yeah, purging. the way I always remember that, um, if I ever got confused between, I used to get confused a lot with the eating disorders, um, bulimia and anorexia especially. 
I always remember that bulimia nervosa, according to the DSM-5, have compensating behaviors. Whenever I remember that key factor, anytime I saw all the rest of them, I remembered. Okay. With that being said, what about avoiding restrictive food intake disorder? That one is given primarily to children. What is the highlighted DSM-5 feature with that disorder? Oh, is it like they divorce certain like it wouldn't it be like the they're like they know carbs is will make them fat so they try to avoid carbs or take or and try to eat something else besides just for example carbs in their meals so not necessarily it's the at the carbs it's more so that they it's around their senses of food the taste of it, how it feels, or the sight of it. It, it has, it revolves around, um, usually children that we consider picky, but <laughs> they're picky in regards to their senses of related to the food. One of the five or multiple senses that they're using. Um, there's a case study I saw once of a child who could not, her mother, um, all she fixed was a lot of pastas. And all of a sudden her little girl, would not eat any pasta at all. Anything related to the taste of spaghetti sauce, anything related to noodles, she just wouldn't eat it. But then it started to transcend against other types of food related to it because of how it tastes, how it went against her tongue, the sight of it, the smell of it. So when you see avoidant restricted food intake disorder, it's usually related to the senses. Okay. Yep. Ethel. Yep, you talked about texture, right? And isn't it, doesn't it have a lot to do with the fact that they're not really concerned about gaining or losing weight? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's another symptom, but usually um, just a highlighted feature would be that. Okay. Any other questions regarding that? You guys got quiet on me again. Is, that new, to, is that new to the DSM? Avoid restrictive food intake disorder? Yes. For the DSM-5, I believe so. Yeah, okay. That's what I'm thinking because I'm not familiarized with that. Well, you also haven't gotten there yet. Can I, can I ask a question? Because I think my daughter was a lot like this growing up. So my daughter had the tendency to not want to eat. It wasn't the fact that she really wasn't concerned about you know, the food or the, or the texture, she would eat like maybe two spoonfuls of food. And then she would hold like food on the side of her cheek and she wouldn't chew or anything. Um, she just wasn't really excited about eating. Um, she was, she was like that up until like the age of six almost. And we had to kind of like forcefully, um, you know, um, sometimes we would have to like physically feed her, her food. Um, because if, if we didn't, she just wouldn't eat. Um, and then she would get sick and it, it, it was like a whole, like, you know, 
uh, situation. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering if that's that avoidant restrictive food intake. It's like they're not really, I, I just want to make sure I'm on the right like page with this. They're not concerned about weight loss. They're not concerned about weight gain. Um, but it's just like they just avoid or restrict food intake for various reasons. Is that correct? Yeah. So to be a little bit more expansive to it, um, it is new to the DSM-5, just to answer that question. It used to be referred to as selective eating disorder. That's what it used to be called. Now, a lot of children, of course, they go through picky phases. Um, of course, in reference to your daughter in that story, um, of course, she would have been officially diagnosed with it. Um, usually the impairment is to a point where it, they're really not eating. It's significant weight loss um, or failure to achieve expected weight gain. They're usually undernourished, significant nutritional deficiency. Their dependence on eating, feeding, or doing, they're doing like uh, nutritional supplements. Um, and it's marked by interference with psychosocial functioning. So, and it's also around again, a lot more that has to do with the senses. Some of the risk factors I'll tell you guys, um, people that have autism conditions are more likely to develop it um, as those people with ADHD and intellectual disabilities, um, children who don't outgrow normal picky eating or when picky eating becomes so severe, it actually develops into avoiding um, restrictive eating food intake disorder. So some of the co-occurring um, disorders connected to it can be anxiety as well as it can also be high risk for other psychiatric disorders. So some of the warning signs, traumatic weight loss, dressing in layers, hiding weight loss or staying warm, report constipation, abdominal pain, cold tolerance, reports consistent vague gastrointestinal issues, upset stomach, um, They'll eat certain textures of food, fears of choking or vomiting, lack of appetite or interest in food. Uh, there's no body image disturbance or fear of weight gain, which is vital to throw out anorexia nervosa as well as bulimia, right? So hopefully that kind of gives you guys kind of the, the range of it. With that being said, uh, we're now up to a little bit, uh, almost an hour and a half. I'm willing to draw at least two more questions in. Um, if you guys want, <laughs> yes. With that, I will take a request for the type of question. Assessment. Okay. <laughs> we had an assessment question, but okay. Someone wants an assessment question. Okay. I'll throw one in there. All right. I will put it in the chat below. Just give me a second, guys. All right. So I'm going to put it in the chat. Leandra, of course, you're going to say community. <laughs> With that being said, Sarah is a 28 year old woman and she has a chief complaint of i will put this in chat for you guys she has a chief complaint of feeling down all the time okay she reports she has 
been feeling this way for the last three months. So there's a duration. And it's affecting her work performance. Okay, I'm gonna put that in there. She's also having trouble sleeping. She feels tired all the time. And she has little interest in her usual activities. Now her brother committed suicide four years ago. I'm just gonna paraphrase it. And since that time, she has been having periods of feeling down. More frequently. Okay, she has no SI, no suicidal ideation. And she's got no suicidal plan. Okay. Now, do we do A, refer her to a psychiatrist for med management? <clears throat> do we do B, start Sarah on CBT? Do we do C, conduct assess a comprehensive biopsychosocial? guys I'm just putting this one in the chat okay in D do we suggest Sarah take a vacation to relieve her stress All right, so I'm going to read this through just uh, just to run through it. Sarah, a 23-year-old woman, comes to your office seeking help for feeling down all the time. She reports she has been feeling this way for the last three months and that is affecting her work performance. Sarah says she has trouble sleeping, feels tired all the time, and has little interest in her usual activities. Sarah's brother committed suicide four years ago, and since then, she reports that these periods of feeling down have been more frequent. She denies any suicidal ideation or plans. With that being said, what's going to be the first step we do with her? A, refer to a psychiatrist for medication evaluation. B, 
B, start Sarah on CBT. C, conduct a biopsychosocial assessment. D, suggest Sarah take a vacation to relieve her stress and feelings of sadness. All right. With that being said, let's start with A. Do we throw it out? Throw it out. Throw it out. Throw it out. <laughs> okay. You guys all said that so confidently. B? Throw it out. Throw it out. Throw it out. Throw it out. All right. C? Keep, Keep it. it. Keep it. Keep it. D. Throw it out. Throw it out. I need D. Oh, me too. <laughs> I saw Laurie also said that in chat. Um, all right, so let's look at C. Why would it be C? Sounds like we need to gather more information about Miss Sarah. Um, she has a definitely has a lot going on, but we won't know until we conduct a bio psychosocial assessment. Okay. Anybody else want to add to it? Well, the reason why I say C, because you're seeing in their depression and mm -hmm. also from when, when you're studying, I see anytime a person mentioned that someone in their family have suicide, you have to do an assessment to see, even though see, you don't see, you still have to do a deeper assessment to see whether or not is it there. Because anytime someone mentioned according to your study guide, if they mention a family member being committed suicide, it's a strong possibility they may be thinking about it. So you have to assess whether or not they may not want to go that route. You guys are on it tonight. So that is correct. We would do a biopsychosocial. I felt that that was like a dead giveaway. <laughs> it's a dead giveaway. But nonetheless, yes. We need to do a biopsychosocial to better understand her symptoms, history, and her social environment, too. So I don't think that needs further from um, any explanation. So with that, do we do another one? What do you guys think? Yeah, someone mentioned either community ethics. Mm-hmm. All right. So let me yeah, cut. Okay, so I'm gonna oops, gonna put in a community question, and while I'm putting in the community question, if somebody can um, share out the room, I will put in two bonus ethics questions. If we if I can get like five shares, I'll put in a couple more. Cause I was supposed to be off with y'all about an hour ago. I'm still here, hour and a half later. Y'all got me here. So if you guys could do me a favor and share the room out for those, anyone that hasn't, please feel free to share it out. Lauren says you love us. <laughs> Y'all got my son over here looking like, mommy, when you getting off? <laughs> uh, so let me, I'm putting this in here. Okay, let's see. All right, so I'm gonna, um, as I usually do, I'm going to go ahead and read it out loud while I'm putting it down so you guys know what the question is. You're a, you're a social worker at a community mental health center. Recently, there has been a significant increase in the number of homeless individuals with severe mental health issues. Okay, hold on. All right, you guys should see that in the chat in your community. 
Okay, so local resources are strained and there been there's been an increase in crime rates. and public disturbances. And I'll recap the question in a second. I'm just kind of putting it in a chat for my visual folks. <clears throat> and I'll read the actual part of the question out loud. I'm just gonna put in the, um, the answers real quick. Recommend that local law enforcement increase their presence to reduce crime rates B advocate for funding and develop programs Sorry guys, you may hear a little bit of, I think my husband is taking out the trash. Housing. So I'll repeat these out loud. Just give me a second guys. Okay, there's B. Okay, I'm putting in C. Okay, and there is D. Sorry, maybe a typo in here. All right, here we go. Okay, I'm gonna recap the question. You are a social worker at a community mental health center Recently, there has been a significant increase in the number of homeless individuals with severe mental health issues in your community. Local resources are strand and there has been an increase in crime rates and public disturbances. Now, based on this information, which of the following community interventions would be most appropriate? There we go with a most. So we have A, recommend that local law enforcement increase their presence to reduce crime rates. B, advocate for funding and develop programs to provide stable housing and comprehensive mental health services for the pop homeless population. Then we got C, suggest that the homeless population move to a neighboring community with more resources. D, focus solely on the individual therapy for homeless clients without addressing their homeless 
I mean, addressing their housing needs. So let's look at A, recommend that local law enforcement increase their presence to reduce crime rates. Do we keep it or do we throw that out? What are we throw doing? it out. Okay. B, advocate for funding and develop programs to provide stable housing and comprehensive mental health services for the homeless population. Keep it. Keep, Keep it. it. C, suggest that homeless population move to a neighboring community with more resources. Throw it out. Throw it out. D, focus solely on individual therapy for homeless clients without addressing their housing needs. Throw it out. Throw it out. Okay, let's talk about B. Why would B be correct? You're helping two problems here with the housing and the mental health. Because according to the vignette, as it indicated, they have mental health problems and they also have homelessness. So you're addressing both issues. And also you're, while you're addressing it, you're advocating from two I have this here. That's why I picked B. Okay, thank you. Anyone else? I would definitely agree. Um, A is not, you said the most um, mm -hmm. in the vignette. So, I mean, A only touches on one thing, and that's the, you know, the, the crime-related uh, uh, um, issues, the crime rates. Um, so B definitely touches on both mental health and housing. Okay. Any other ones before I say the rationale? All right. You guys are all correct. Correct, correct, correct. So, advocating for funding and developing programs is going to be your best bet. Um, it's necessary to connect them with necessary resources. Um, that's a key role. And so, in this case, developing a comprehensive intervention that includes both housing and mental health services addresses the root issues faced by the homeless population. This approach is likely to have a more significant and sustainable impact on the community problem compared to other options that don't tackle the underlying issues. So good job with that. All right. So you guys asked for an ethics question, correct? I believe that was what was requested. With that being said, do me a favor um could you guys anyone in there out there share out the room for me i think we're close to getting close to 100 i want to see if we can end this room on getting at least 100 social workers in this space through the space so if you guys could share out the room let people know that you're in here and that you are getting some value from this room please, please, please help me out and sharing the room out. As I am putting the next question in the chat, I appreciate you guys and spending time with me in here. So I just did put out the next question. Okay, I'm gonna put the answer choices in here. 
putting that in here now. You guys should see <clears throat> this one through here. Okay. Okay, so I'm putting A in. Putting B. Okay. Putting C in. And D. Okay. Just for the sake of time purposes, I kind of paraphrase the answers. I'll go back and read it fully. Annie is a clinical social worker who has been providing therapy for a client for six months. The client has made significant progress and um, recently invited Annie to their upcoming wedding as a guest. Annie feels touched and is considering attending. According to the NASW Code of Ethics, what is the most appropriate response? So Annie A should accept the invitation and attend the wedding to support her client. B, Annie should um, decline politely the invitation, explain that it could blur the boundaries of their professional relationship. C, Annie should attend their wedding but maintain a professional distance and demeanor. D, Annie should end therapy with the client so she can attend the wedding as a friend. So let's start with A. Do we keep it or throw it out? Throw it out. Throw it out. <laughs> All right, B. Keep it. it. C. Throw it out. Throw it out. D. Throw it out. Definitely throw it out. All righty. So B is the correct answer. We have to avoid dual relationships and any other action that could potentially burn those professional boundaries and compromise the social work client relationship. So it's a kind gesture, but we can't do it because it's going to create an ethical dilemma for us, right? And jeopardize the therapeutic relationship with the client. Can't do it. Can't do it. Alrighty. So we're at 92 social workers passing through the space. I think I got maybe a couple more questions in me, maybe one or two. Don't know. So um, feeling a little generous today. If you guys could share out the room for me, let's see if we can get these numbers up at least to 100. It's 92. I'm looking for a couple more shares. It's like 40 people in the room. If we can get the shares up, I will drop another question. I think we've done chapter two, well, assessment. We've done, we haven't touched intervention with clients. We've touched ethics, but I don't think we've touched human behavior. And we have not touched, um, intervention with clients, which are very, very important. So, yeah, yeah, Lauren, I would love to throw an intervention one in there, but I need somebody to share out the room. <laughs> I will put an intervention question out. So tell your colleagues to share, and I will put another one out there. Yes, okay? 
So someone share out the room. It's about 40 of us in here. And we will put another one in there. Okay. So I'm actually in that section right now. So I'm looking for one. Oh, I think I found one. All right. So I just need somebody to share on up. Oh, Linda's coming on up. Chantelle, I understand you got to go. <laughs> you got to go. You got to go. The replays will be up. Thank you, Miss Jackson. All right. With that, I'm going to put another one in. I appreciate y'all. You know, so I'll put another one in. This one will be an intervention with clients question. Okay. And I'll paraphrase it for y'all. Okay. Okay. I'll put it in the chat. Thank you guys so much um, for sharing out the room and supporting the room. Okay. Just give me a second and I'll put it in there. All right, here we go. Okay. We're going to use Sam. So Sam is a 35 year old man presents to your office with feelings of dissatisfaction and confusion about the direction of his life. So that's his primary complaint. He often talks about past experiences and his childhood, but struggles to connect. These experiences to his current situation. Okay. Sam also, he, he kind of intellectualizes his feelings. I'm just going to put that in chat. And appears disconnected from his emotions. Okay, so based on gestalt therapy, what gestalt therapy technique would be beneficial to him? So I will recap that question. I'm going to put a empty chair technique. I'm going to put B, flooding. I'm going to put C, cognitive restructuring. I'm going to put in, oh, hold on. Clubhouse is messed with me, y'all. Hold on one second. And I'll put in D, systematic desensitization. 
Okay, I'll put that up. Oh, Lord, it won't let me put the other two in the chat, y'all. Hold on. Okay. So it won't let me put the last two in the chat. I'm going to read the question again, give Clubhouse a few minutes to see if it'll let me put the last two answer choices in the chat. Um, but I'll recap the question itself. Robert, a 35-year-old man, presents to your office with feelings of dissatisfaction and confusion about his life direction. He often talks about past experiences in his childhood, but struggles to connect these experiences to his current situation. Robert seems to intellectualize his feelings and appear to be disconnected from his emotions. So based on this information with just thought therapy technique, what's going to be the just off therapy technique that's going to be the most beneficial to him a empty chair technique b flooding c cognitive restructuring d systematic desensitization with that being said let's start with a do we keep it or do we throw it out what we don't keep it okay i hear keep it b throw it out out. C, throw it out. Throw it out. D, throw it out. Throw it out. All right. Why would we choose the empty chair technique? Well, I'm looking at that there's some type of childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And he struggled with that. And he intellectualized it, meaning as in he's denying it and his feelings. So the best way in Gestalter to have the empty chair, have him talk to the empty chair, like a, a conversation, he can disclose what he's feeling, like putting himself out there to, towards the chair. And that's how I see the empty chair, you're talking to the chair, like something happened in your childhood, a person or a thing, and he can express himself towards the chair, the empty chair. Okay. 